We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 41 months into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Melissa from Cutting Through the Matrix. It is once a fortnight. How are you, Melissa? It's good to see you. I'm well. Good to see you, Johnny. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Love having conversations with you. And for the last couple of weeks, well, actually, when I say a couple of weeks, the last couple of times that you've been on, uh, we've talked about the... Um, it's almost become a mini series, hasn't it? <laughs> Where you just kind of you're waiting for the next episode to drop that uh, you, know, you get more of the story. Um, it's been about uh, foundations. And I've we've had some conversations on some of the other podcasts about the foundations and just how wretched and awful they have become. And they, you know, we're going to have to deal with these things one way or another on the other side of, of all this. But uh, we don't necessarily have to talk about that today, or maybe we can get into that. I don't know. But I have to um, have to apologize for a I have to make a, a, a grammatical correction from a couple of days ago. Uh, I said cusp and not cuff. So I was oh. pointed out. Yeah, yeah, I, I was um, I was made aware of that point. I didn't even realize it. I was made aware of that point by another one of our contributors, Mr. Marty Foster. And so, Marty, I know you're going to be listening. So I'll just tell you this. We will have a conversation today and it will just come right off the cuff. Of things. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I got cuff and cusp confused, and I didn't even realize it. But you know how it is when you do so many of these, it just like they all run together and you just don't pay attention and you're just moving on to the, you know, the next thing, the next topic yes. or whatever it is. So yeah. what so, have you been uh, up to? What have you been up to the last well, couple of weeks? What's going on? Uh, and we can talk. We can chew the fat of the uh, the events of the day, I'm sure, because there's plenty to discuss. I've heard some wild conspiracy theories the last couple of days, but we'll talk about that. But anyway, before we get into that, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Oh, my goodness, Johnny, so much. I, 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 I just can't keep hold of it all in my tiny little head here. That There's just so much of the news of the day, which I try not to get overly involved in. And then I've been reading a little bit and then just a, a couple of, you know, kind of like personal things, you know, car trouble or this or that or the other. So mm -hmm. um, I'm keeping really busy here. But speaking of cuff versus cusp, uh, a couple of days ago, I was illustrating the video that was that I make the little picture illustration of the Redux talk of Alan Watt to go up. And I was mentioning again, the Pritzker and Crown families of Chicago, 
that I had stumbled onto when researching the Aspen Institute and foundations, etc. And as I'm listening to it, I've got the headphones on and I'm looking for images. And I'm like, did I just say the Kritzker and Prown families of Chicago? And I, I rolled back and I listened to it again. And sure enough, I did. I said the Kritzker and Prown families of Chicago. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. It, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter that much. People will figure it out. And then later I was thinking, you know, that's just the kind of inversion or, you know, cuff versus cusp that if when I was working on editing the audio to upload it in Canada, I would have gone to Alan and said, you need to re-record a, re- a correction. And uh-huh. he may or he may or may not have grudgingly done so for me. <laughs> but I, I just said, no, 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 not going to do it. Sometimes you just have to let things go. I mean, there's yeah, so much that's... editing work. And, and that's a lot of people don't realize, like the listener, they don't realize how much work actually goes into one of these things. So, for example, we're going to do a 45 minute to an hour podcast today. Mm-hmm. That is not an hour or 45 minutes that you're getting in actual work. You're getting about five hours or more worth of work. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> So absolutely. To try and get everything as, I don't want to say perfect, but <laughs> to try and get everything as, as perfect as you want it to be sometimes is very difficult, if not impossible. We do. Well, you know, my, my rationale for having Alan correct things is, you know, I always thought, well, it's Alan. I mean, it, you know, this is Alan. I, I cannot allow this to go out publicly if I can, you know, correct the mistake. Well, you know, with me, it's just like, okay, you know, I inverted the words. Who cares? So <laughs> think what you will. You know, when I heard but him, that, he had to go out talk. polished. Yeah, yeah. When I when I heard him talk and I saw him in different documentaries and things, I don't recall him ever making a mistake. Now, that could have been to editing, but I don't. I mean, I saw him talking like long segments before, and I don't recall him making very many mistakes well, at all. Well, so that, that is the thing that he, he very seldom did. He had this amazing mind and he could just talk and talk and talk, whether it was on the phone or an audio recording or a video recording. He could literally talk for hours. And sometimes when I would be editing an audio, I would think, oh, no, he's lost his train of thought here because he would say something and then he would get off on a tangent. And I'd be listening, listening, and I'm like, oh, he's, he's not going to come back to that. I'm telling you, Johnny, if it was 15 minutes or 30 minutes later, he never failed to come back to the point. Never. I, you know, that which Impressive. just amazed me. But every once in a while, yes, he made mistakes. And yes, you know, or he, he'd say something that was, uh, you know, Galton Darwin, and it was supposed to be Bertrand Russell. Or, and if I caught it, because I didn't always catch everything, but if I caught it, I would ask him to correct it and, and usually would do that for me if he had time. But with myself, I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I, you know. Mm-hmm. We're only human. We do make mistakes. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, that's it. And that's just it. I want Alan looking good, but I don't really care. What yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, I don't, you know, I yeah. don't care, but that's okay. Anyway, so um, you, I assume you've heard about Maui, my goodness. And the only reason I'm uh. even bringing this up is because I have heard some of the most wild conspiracies in the last uh, 24, 48, 72 hours. It is crazy some of the things i've heard lasers from space i've heard the government did it all i've heard 
Oprah is going to be seizing all the land. I've heard that the trees didn't burn, but the metal structures did. The celebrities' houses didn't burn, but everyone else's did. The tourists were swimming where people were fleeing. I like it, It's just... It is absolutely crazy, some of this stuff that's that's coming out about these, these Maui fires. And as you said in prep, it is a tragedy, but mm-hmm. this is like the, the amount of... The amount of stuff. I actually had um, three or four different people this afternoon who don't know each other, who are located in different parts of the world, all asking me simultaneously my thoughts on it and all of them giving me different things that they're all hearing. Mm-hmm. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. So it is. I, I mean, I, first of all, it is it's just a terrible tragedy. And the last time I was listening to the news just a little bit earlier and the death count was at 99 at that point but they they have projected at least 500 lives lost and I've looked at a lot of the you know drone footage of it because I can't stand to hear people talk about it on the mainstream news because this has been an amazing opportunity to for people to talk about climate change and for them to say, oh, you know, because of climate change, people had to jump into the ocean, leap into the ocean to save their lives, to keep from burning. And it's like, whatever caused this, it's not climate change. And I, 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 it just upsets me to hear the relentless, you know, climate change, climate change, climate change that, that they're playing on this because it was very, it's very visually dramatic. Both while it was happening and the aftermath, it's it's a, a horrific visual drama. So it's a perfect opportunity to whip up a frenzy about climate change. They do this in just about every country. Do you remember Canada had the wildfires or I, yes. maybe they still do? They're doing the same thing up there. It's climate change. Yes. They had wildfires yeah. in, in Greece. Yes. On one of the Greek Isles a few weeks ago, and it was uh, apocalyptic, this and that, and it's climate change, and it's it's man-made, and that's all your fault. And it's the same thing in Maui. And it, it did, you know, it doesn't help, of course, that two or three weeks ago, um, the terrorists of the, the UN, sorry, <laughs> blanked. Um, Did you say terrorists? Said, Did you say yeah, terrorists of yeah, the UN? Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> You terrorist of the UN came out and said, um, you know, we're no longer in a global warming situation. The earth is not warming, it's boiling. So when you have somebody in that position, this is the UN saying that the earth is boiling. It's very easy to whip people up into a state of absolute panic. And they've got the young generation just robotically in line with this. They're going to show up for whatever demonstration is organized for them. They're going to get involved. They'll, you know, blame the older people, blame the older people. You did this. Mm-hmm. You're going to love this one. So you have okay. these these eco warriors that are out there with their, their extinction rebellion or just stop oil or, you know, these idiots that, that glue themselves to the road or, or something like that. Right. Well, here's a new one for you. How about just stop trees? Have you heard of this one? No. No. Well, they just go around. Just stop trees. Just stop trees. These are climate activists. They go around and they pull up trees in protest. What? Yeah. It's for climate change. They they pull up trees because they believe that the trees that have been planted are there for timbering and have no ecological purpose whatsoever. And so they go out and pull them up. Ugh. So the thing that you're fighting for, you're actually destroying. Wow. This yeah. is a like this is a, this is insanity on display. Yes. 
And of course, the thing the thing is, Johnny, is they didn't just decide. There wasn't one young teenager or university student who said, I'm going to get a friend and we're going to go pull up a tree. Someone told them to do this. And this was one of the interesting things, you know, speaking of foundations and the NGOs that they finance. When I was hearing the coverage, the the crazy coverage about Maui, it dovetailed with a headline that I saw in The Guardian. Climate activists outraged over Biden claim he practically declared U.S. emergency. This was from a week ago uh, on the 9th of August. And I was reading this. There's a little link in there that actually gives you a bunch of new powers that the president has. This is the biologicaldiversity.org. And then there's a little program there that evidently was signed off in 2022. Does give the president numerous powers. But it said here, he said, practically speaking, he had declared a state of emergency. Now, there were a couple of things. First of all, I was just blown away that the pre- that any sitting president of the United States would be having an interview with the Weather Channel. So that's where this was said, at the Weather Channel. That was the first thing that grabbed me. And the second thing was that the outraged climate activist who said, you know, that this activist said it came amid a summer of record-breaking extreme weather events. So this is to quote Varshini Prakash, the executive director of the youth-led climate advocacy group Sunrise Movement. She said, this summer we experienced the hottest days in the past 125,000 years. Wildfire smoke has filled the lungs of people across the country. People are losing their homes and literally jumping into the ocean to avoid flames. Well, I talked to you some months back about Sunrise Movement. You and did, the, yeah. yeah, and what they had been trying to accomplish in El Paso. But then my discovery was that, you know, lo and behold, they're all over the United States. And the Varshini Prakash, when I looked her up again on the weekend, I noticed something that I hadn't seen before and probably hadn't seen it before because I hadn't gotten into the Pritzker family of Chicago, that Varshini Prakash was named in, on the 2019 Time 100 Next list of global leaders. I think it was Fortune magazine that did a big spread of the young, glo- well, not young global leaders like the World Economic Forum, but youthful global leaders, their own list. And Varshini and her partner, um, Sarah Blazevic, were named, I think, number 38 on the list of 50 uh, heavyweight young leaders. And it went on to say she was a finalist for the 2019 Pritzker Emerging Environmental Genius Award. So it's, it's no wonder that she is being heavily quoted in the press and people are listening to her and taking her seriously. This is a very well-financed group. She's gotten the stamp of approval of the Pritzker family, the Pritzker Foundation money. Um, the, the organization itself was trained by this murky group called Momentum Community. And they openly say in articles, if you dig through there, that they are inspired by Saul Alinsky. That he, he, this, uh, okay, his, I was getting his, ready to yeah, say. 
Yeah, there's uh-huh. there's a there's got to be a connection in there to a radical somewhere, and that's yes. that's it. And they are they're extremely radical, and so so that's that's what we're getting. And a lot of people, and most people, don't understand the history that you know the agenda and the, the history of it. And so it's all like it's just happening now. But that takes me back to foundations. <laughs> this is episode three or four of yeah, foundations. So it's, it's a <laughs> miniseries. It's that's what it yeah. turned into. <laughs> so, but it's just—I mean, to me, this is all very eye-opening. I think because I had heard Alan talk about this book for years and years, but I'd never read it myself. And so he would give shorthand on his talks and blurbs and interviews. It was a shorthand. But when you get in there and you read these things coming out of their mouths, it's eye-opening. And one reason that it is so illuminating is because the book and the work was done in the 1950s. I think the first of the congressional commissions was 1952. uh, And then the book ended up coming out in 1958. But the author, Renee Wormser, says on page 144 of my copy, they're talking about socialism and how it the, the socialist agenda had really taken over. They're saying in 1958, almost completely primary, secondary and university level education, not to mention all the other ways, you know, your entertainment and so forth. But they were focused here in this section on, on education. They're talking about something called the Intercollegiate Socialist Society, an offspring of the Fabian movement. The Fabian Socialist so the movement? Fabian Social, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so um, there was another on the previous page at the Reese hearings, they were citing a book entitled Fabianism in Great Britain. And this was a book by sister Margaret Patricia McCarran. And she was the daughter of a senator, uh, Senator McCarran. So she's obviously become a nun and if has I'm not, written. Yeah, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry to interject, but th- this is a this could be an interesting point uh, to throw in there. If I'm not mistaken, a gentleman by the name of Eric Blair, whose writer's name was George Orwell, who wrote 1984, yes. was originally yes. a Fabian socialist until he figured out what they wanted to do, and then he left. Yes, that that actually is true. He that is true. He. I don't remember his whole bio, but I believe that he was, uh, you know, sympathetic. He was covering the Spanish Civil War. If I get this wrong, then, you know, hate me later. But he was very sympathetic to this. And he was over there both covering it and studying it um, from the viewpoint of sympathy. And then he began to see it differently when he was there and experiencing it. So we, you know, we can check the facts later. I'm not an expert there, but it's saying after it sets this up in this book about the Fabians of Great Britain, Wormser says the American movement seized upon some of the teachings of John Dewey, who, as Mr. Sargent put it, expounded a principle which has become destructive of traditions and has created the difficulties and the confusion, much of it, that we find today. Professor Dewey denied that there was any such thing as absolute truth, that everything was relative, everything was doubtful, and there were no basic values and nothing which was specifically true. This was Mr. Sargent who added to Dewey's philosophy 
Mr. Sargent was the one who had been testifying at the Reese hearings. He went on to say about Dewey, you automatically, uh, no, wait a minute, this, these are his own words again. He said, you automatically wipe the slate clean, you throw historical experience and background to the wind, and you begin all over again, which is just exactly what the Marxians want someone to do. It's a rejection of tradition and carried with it is an undermining of the doctrine of inalienable rights and the theory of natural law, which underlie our system of government. So again, I'd heard Alan talk about John Dewey and the destructive things that he did, his involvement in the liberal ideas that destroyed our education system. But those were just Alan's words. I never investigated that or read that or understood how or in what way he had done that. So this has been very eye-opening to me because earlier in this book, just a few pages before where I was reading from, they mention another committee. The first of these congressional hearings was done in 1915. So over a hundred years ago. And at that time, the big foundations were Carnegie and Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah. And the Carnegie and Rockefeller foundations single-handedly, I'm going to scroll and see if I can find that, at that time in 2000, in, uh, not 2000, in 1915. Okay, here it is. The Walsh Committee had heard witnesses testify to the fact that colleges had abandoned their religious affiliations in or before 1915 to conform to requirements established by foundations. And the author of this book was going on to say, now it is, this is a given that colleges and universities, they'll make whatever drastic changes the foundation wants, because that's the stipulation. If you want the money, you will do this. That was 1915, and then he's writing here in 1958, the big foundation at that point had become the Ford Foundation, which is still on the go. These are all still active foundations who are still actively financing universities and secondary schools and primary schools and et cetera, et cetera. And this was a, a key thing that, that Alan talked about over and over again, is that the, the standardization of education, the standardization of entertainment. So what, what, what is at stake and what is all throughout this book, and they're talking about it in the sciences, the social sciences, the hard sciences, and any other kind of research, is that what is, what is being eliminated is individual genius. It's individual insight. And these writers make a point here that you would never, you'll just never hear people say nowadays, which is there's actually no innovations, real innovations or real discovery or, you know, with that doesn't come from in an, an individual's genius or an individual's unique thinking. And for that to occur, people have to have freedom. And they're writing about something here in the 50s that is just, it's so ancient that we don't remember that. But what they're saying is that this was one of the things that made the American experiment, they don't say, they don't call it an experiment, but, you know, what made the American experiment so 
unique and wonderful was that built into it was the concept of individual liberty and the concept that individual liberty meant freedom to just wander all over the place and make numerous mistakes, carrying with it massive diversity of opinion. Does that sound anything at all like the country that we are live in or and you are from? Nothing, Does that sound nothing like it at all. No, no, not at all. Uh, to your point about the institutions, and I can't say that I disagree. I'm I'm currently reading another book, and it's I just finished a chapter on the inherent problems in in our education system, and it's it stems far and wide. But I I tend to want to agree with the author on their point of what the institutions have become. We have institutions that teach conformity. We mm -hmm. don't have institutions that actually allow people to express themselves. What we need are institutions. Now, this this becomes an oxymoron almost in and of itself. What we need are institutions that teach the things that institutions can't teach, if that makes sense. And what that yes. is, we need people to learn courage and independence. Those are the two things that we desperately need. We don't have them. We don't have any institution in existence that can teach these things. And so therefore, that calls into question, this is my opinion, that calls into question, what good are the institutions? What good are they? You're going there, you're spending all kinds of money. And believe me, I, I went through those. You spend all kinds of money and you have to subscribe. You don't have to believe it, but you have to subscribe to whatever that whack job professor is trying to sell you, which is his book for $150 in the college bookstore. You have to read and memorize that book. You have to subscribe to their wacky philosophy in order to pass their test to get to the next place. So what good yes. is this? What good is this? The world does not run on bureaucrats and conformists. A civilization cannot survive that way. We need people no. with innovative ideas. We need people with courage. We need people with independence. And we don't have any of this that's being taught. Nothing. It's being no. the conformity is is beginning at the kindergarten level or even before I would I would surmise because of the television and entertainment these days. But in the institutions, just sticking with the institutions, the conformity yes. is all the way through. You're taught to conform going into government or into a corporation. You're taught to conform when you come out. You're doing this. You're saying this. And if you step out of this, then whatever career you thought you were going to have, you don't have. You know, you're going to be sitting in a, in a side office somewhere. And so people right. don't say anything. People do not say anything. We, we don't have anybody that's willing to speak up and say, hey, you're wrong. This policy is not going to work. We base our policy in the world on how it makes us feel. I yes. mean, how, ridic how ridiculous is this? We base our policy and our decision making on what sounds good because we can't speak up. We can't go against the grain. We can't be independent. We can't offer a real tangible solution that's based in reality, because if we do, that's going to cause too much animosity. That's right. And they and these people will not be funded. And they know that. I mean, already I could just go back to the book, go back to the book. But this is in the 50s. People were kept at associate professor level. They were not given full professorships, and they knew that they never would get full professorships because they had courage. They were going to continue to say things the way they saw them or, or research, find a way to research the things that were interesting to them. But what was clear is that 
you don't get very far. See, because research now for 70 plus years has been team research, group, you know, the collective research. And if you're not on board with whatever the collective is into, you, you're just not getting anywhere. It's not the happening. peer review. Everything's the, the peer, peer review. The now. peer review. Exactly. It's a sad thing. It is. It is. You know, uh, go on. Well, one one thing that t- I was reminded of, I had been looking into a fellow out of Canada who called himself the Ice Age Farmer. And he was. Yes, um, he's, he's yes. good. He is good. He he's is got very a lot of good, good stuff. He does. But I kept. What I noticed was that he didn't post, he hasn't posted anything in over a year. It's been about a year and a half. And I kept looking for new posts from him. Um, I can't remember. I think his first name is Christian and I don't recall his last name, but he was somebody that I had looked at from time to time for a few years. But I I confess that I didn't really get deep into the grand solar minimum, the coming little ice age. I, you know, I hadn't researched it that much, but somebody... One of Alan's longtime listeners ha- keeps reminding me kind of gently that, you know, this is happening, this is happening. And he had sent me another one of these reminder emails. And I mentioned it on the weekend on the Redux because we're talking about foundation funding of scholars and academics here. And I guess that a lot of the thinking about this Grand Solar Minimum is coming from the work the, of um, Professor Valentina Zarkova. She is a full professor at Northumbria University in Newcastle. She's from Kiev, from the Ukraine. And um, she's got, I'm just looking at her bio here, applied math, astrophysics. Well, you know, basically that she's a very smart woman with all the qualifications. And she is involved. She says here, I'm a member of the London Mathematical Society, the European Mathematical Society, European Physics Society, Fellow of Royal Astronomical Society, International Astronomical Union, and COSPAR, which is the Committee on Space Research. But because she has been warning people through what she has observed and her own research, she's just been called an absolute nut job. And I noticed that she was crowdfunding her own research because she has been vilified. She's still a member in good standing. She's still a full professor, but she's had numerous hit pieces done on her work and her thinking. And and this poor woman, you know, crowdfunding with a goal of 5,000 pounds and she has less. She's got 375 pounds, which is that's less than 500 U.S. So this is the state of what happens to real thinking and real scholarship and real research when everything is foundation funded. There's a book out there uh, that I have not read yet. I do have it uh, and it is available on Amazon, but I'm looking forward to reading it. And now that you're getting into the educational aspect of it, and I've been kind of reading something that's parallel to it on the failure of our institutions, our educational institutions and the intelligentsia. There's a book called Credentialed to Destroy by a woman named Robin Eubanks. And I believe it's on Amazon. It's like $11 or something, but I'm going to be reading that. And basically she, as far as I understand, she talks about how our, institu- our educational institutions have been subverted uh, and mm-hmm. goes into all of the different aspects of that. And maybe I'll find something else in there. I'm not sure. But um, it sounds like that would that would be an addition to um, to kind of what we're both studying in different aspects at the moment. Uh, another one, too, that I'll, I'll recommend. Are you familiar with Whitney Webb? Oh, I am. Website? Yes. yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, on her site, Unlimited Hangout, she has a she's featured a series, um, and unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to remember the writer's name, but she's I, featured a series of articles called Teachnocracy. I might have mentioned that oh, yes, to you. you when, have, yeah. yeah. Yeah, teach yeah it's well it's well worth mentioning again that if your listeners are interested, they should go to unlimitedhangout.com and look at the Teachnocracy series of articles because you're going to find out about just how dumbed down the education system is. But it's not by accident. They are preparing us for the fourth industrial revolution, which we are already in. They want people who are who cannot possibly be creative thinkers, but can only be specialists in very uh, particular things that serve the fourth industrial revolution. And to back to, I don't want to drift too far from the, uh, the climate change thing. I was, I actually mm-hmm. covered this uh, last week a little bit. There was a, uh, there was a climate scientist named Judith Curry. Uh, there was a piece out of the New York Post, and I'm not going, I'm not going to go over it again. But uh, more or less, the story of it was she was one of these climate scientists that made a, a statement and showed her research and everything about how hurricane intensity was increasing. And of mm-hmm. course, the media latched onto that. And the establishments and the foundations latched onto that. And she was treated like a rock star. They gave her private flights all over the world to lecture about how climate change this and climate change that. Then some other researchers who doubted her, because this is how science works, God forbid, you know, we actually do something that actually, you know, we we follow. But some other scientists got together and said, hey, your formula that you used here it's a it's a little bit off. You might want to go back and and look at this again. And so she did because she said, I'm a scientist, of course, you know, I'm, and that's what we do. We have a theory that's put forth and then you disprove that theory. Someone disproves that theory and then you reevaluate and another theory comes along and the process mm-hmm. repeats and we learn mm-hmm. that's science. You know, science is never settled because if you're not a unless skeptic, you're Fauci, yeah, unless if you're, you're Fauci, Fauci the science is settled. It's, yeah, it's settled. That's Or if you're Al Gore. Yeah, it, it's yeah. settled. But she went back and she reviewed what she had done before and she saw what these other scientists had put together and they all got together and she said, you know what, I'm in error. And she has been blackballed ever since. She has been mm-hmm. cut off because she she came out publicly after that and said that the entire crisis, uh, climate crisis is manufactured. Everything is, yes. is just a it's a it's a money pit. Right. It's, that's basically what it is. It's everything. All the money gets pushed to you if you say the right thing. And so everybody's yes. out for the money. It doesn't matter about anything else. You know, the, the truth doesn't matter. And so no. once she said publicly, hey, I made a mistake here. This is not what's really going on. I was in error. And she said, this is all turned into a, a manufactured crisis. Then everything started to go very badly for her. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just about everything now. It was the same thing with um, uh, with uh, vaccinations and, and COVID, if you remember all that stuff. If you yes. were all for it, oh, you got the you got the red carpet rolled out for you. You got onto a, a discussion panel with Dr. Fauci on MSNBC on Tuesday mornings. But if you spoke against it, then you were a conspiracy theorist. And I think New Zealand, the list is is this long now of everything that you are if you don't believe in in vaccinations. It's it's crazy. Yes. 
we yeah. we were going over some of those the other day. You're, really? you're a racist. You're a you're a a, a, a fear monger. You're a, a pessimist and you know a hateful a bigot and everything else. Some of the most crazy things that you can imagine uh, is being pushed out for all of this for the sake of the agendas. Yes, this being pushed. The, the, yes, that's right. Because you see, the science isn't settled, but the agenda is. You know, the agenda is settled and the media is settled into the pockets of those who are financing this push. And and that's it. There is no room for dissent. I don't know. Have you been seeing what's going on with all of these? Um, I, I don't know if we, we want to talk about this, but this this all I think it goes to lack of education, the breakdown of, of just general society. Have you seen the lawlessness that's going on in retail stores down around where you are? And I'm talking about the lawlessness that's like that are like the smash and grabs that you see in like California and New York and, and things like that. Are you seeing any of that well, stuff down there? I, I, I'm not seeing it where I am, no. But I am reading about it happening in other places and it could be happening closer to home, but I know on the West Coast, I mean, San Francisco is the standard of lawlessness by which I guess every other city will be measured. But most of the big retail stores have already pulled out of there. You just see boarded up, you know, where luxury stores used to be. It's just boarded up mm-hmm. windows. Yeah, yeah. Fifth Avenue in New York mm-hmm. is, a, is a good example of that. This was a Nordstrom <laughs> store in California over the weekend, uh, and it was just... Absolutely, just ransacked fifty people. Oh my goodness! Go in, and they just they pick the place clean. They smash the the displays. This is what I see just about on a daily basis is stuff like this. Uh, I saw a a Gucci store, a Louis Vuitton store, uh, Versace stores. They go in and they walk out with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bags and and expensive stuff, luxury goods. They'll smash oh, out jewelry cases. I I have I mean seeing it is uh, amazing because I've been reading about organized gangs of criminals who are going into mm-hmm. stores, but I haven't actually watched any video coverage of it. It's really yeah. appalling. Yeah, this was uh, this was a Nordstrom in, in Los Angeles uh, just a couple of days ago. I saw uh, a story a couple of weeks back about a couple of uh, women who worked at a, uh, was a fitness store of some kind. I can't remember what it was, but they actually called the police when you had groups of individuals coming in and, and behaving like this and walking out with thousands of dollars worth of merchandise. And you know what they did? The company Nothing. fired the two employees. Really? Really. On what grounds? I don't know. But they were both on the local affiliates out there talking about how they were both fired. So wow. the, the, we're, we're going in. The, my point is, is that we're going in the opposite direction here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're encouraging the lawlessness. There's no punishment. You know, there, there's no there's nothing because you've got the people that are in charge of the justice system. I use that term very loosely these mm-hmm. days, the justice system that are from the institutions. Yes, absolutely. And we know who is doing a lot of the funding of the justice system, the, you know, attorney generals, you know, it's Soros money and similar, because this is the chaos from which their new order comes. And I think that we see it, we will be seeing it in a lot of different ways over the next few years. I, I, you know, I, I think food shortages and starvation and the kinds of events that these weather events, because some of them may be natural, some of them may be helped by geoengineering, I I don't know, but they will be used for maximum effect. But this law, the, the other thing too, that I was thinking about recently and talking about recently, 
during COVID, as you recall, all across the world, prisoners were released, you know, for their, for their health, for their sake. And many of those prisoners, they never went back to jail. They never went back to prison. So this is French Revolution kind of, I mean, we, we are in the radical moment, uh, my brother calls it, the radical moment, when all of the radicals have been let loose and they are having their day. They are having their way. You know, through my research over the years, and m maybe you, you have a differing of opinion on this, but um, where I have ended up at the moment, going off of what you just said, you know, we're, we're at that French Revolution moment. This is nothing more than destruction for the sake of destruction. Mm -hmm. There's there's nothing. I mean, we're, we're talking about the fourth industrial revolution. Okay, well, what is that? What What is that? Is that is that uh, everybody lives in a 250 square foot coffin apartment like they have in, in Agenda 21 or uh, whatever they, they put out Agenda 2030 or 2050 or, or something like that? There's nothing to replace it with. It's literally just a, a tearing down of civilization and it will be absolute anarchy. You know, I, I don't want to sound like a, a complete pessimist here, but we really, I mean, the, the whole point of of erasing something or, or changing something in, in a system that you live in is you have something as good or better to replace it with. And there is nothing. So if well, you look I, at the even the fourth industrial revolution, that's not better. <laughs> that is not better by any by any means. You know, the digital currency, the digital wallet, the social credit, the high speed rail to nowhere, the electric cars, the solar panels, the windmills, all, all the rest of this just junk. That's not a future where we're going if you have anarchy thrown into that, if you have chaos and entropy thrown into that, then that's not going to work either. So how do we, is there a way to overcome that? Ooh, the loaded question. You were doing fine there until you had to load it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I actually think that we are going, that, 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 that there is a destination in mind. See, Alan would explain the new world, the new world order. He would say, well, which new world order? Because there's always a new, there is always a new world order coming into view. So this is part of, and that, that's part of the dialectic. You, you end up with the synthesis and then it's thesis, antithesis, and then synthesis all over again and over and over and over again. And this is how the revolution works. This is how the revolutionary mindset works. But I think in terms of a world that they are bringing in, that they are ushering in, again, I'm not a seer, I don't know, but I posit that a lot of what we're being sold, CBDC, uh, high rail to nowhere, all of, you know, electric vehicles, I, I, a lot of what we're being sold, I think is fantasy. I think these are gradations of fictions for us to get caught up in because it's it is it, it's becoming clear to even people who are just stone dead in terms of you know not being awake to reality at all it's still becoming clearer to people that there's something wrong and they don't know what is wrong and they don't know who to blame they don't know who to hate they don't know who where to direct their frustration but the center is not holding and things are falling apart and people are wondering why. Now you're given this brave new world that we're supposed to go into where it's a credit-based system. It'll be very different. You can think about, you know, you, you'll own nothing. You'll be happy. But 
what I what I believe we're going to actually see if some of us live to be old enough to see it and can view it from our vantage point of savages or barbarians on the outskirts is a system in which humanity as we know it doesn't really exist anymore. You have different types of purpose-made people. Robotics will factor in the the alpha, the beta, uh, the epsilon. You'll have different kinds of custom-made I, I don't even want to call them humans, but humanoid, some, some kind of creation, a vastly, vastly reduced population, um, most of it to serve the elite to whoever has been deemed fit to come through. And, and that's how it'll be. And we actually have part of that in our opening intro where you've got Noah Harari saying well, the biggest question in economics and politics in the coming decade is what are we going to do with all these useless people? Mm-hmm. Well, you've kind of created all those useless people, Noah. <laughs> you know, you've, put them, you've put them in the system and it's like they haven't come to the realization of the tragedy of their own insignificance yet. But, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't know anything, as you said, they're, they're never going to create anything. You know, they're, they're never they're never going to be able to think. So what yeah. are you going to do with them? You're going to have to do something. Well, Alan was fond of saying they're not going to keep us around as pets. No, I, I highly doubt that. No, they will keep around the people that they need to keep around, as in the people that need to fix this or serve this or uh, work on that or deliver this. And that will be it. It will mm-hmm. just be that. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking about this in prep. This would be one take on what you're talking about. These robots that uh, China is going to be putting into uh, mass production by the end of this year. This is called yes. the Fourier Intelligence GR1 Robot. It is going to be based on OpenAI's chat GPT. It'll have a walking capable speed, or excuse me, a capable walking speed with two legs at a speed of five kilometers per hour and carry up to 50 kilograms of load. That would be just enough ammunition and assault rifle to make sure that you do what you're told, I'm assuming. (laughs) Basically, it's a start to kind of what you were alluding to is it won't be humanity, but it will be something you know it, it will be like a, a remnant of it the ai software i think is is a is a step towards that yes i i think so and you know unfortunately we are we, we've said this before but we really are looking through the glass darkly there each one of us i, I mean like we have just finished saying a lot of people never twig to this they're not going to even know where to look or how to think or what to think but for For those of us who are looking and watching and trying to sort it out and understand, you know, our time and resources are limited. Where we get our information is limited, and we'll try to be as discerning as we can and as careful with our time and energy as we can, and to vet our sources and not waste our time running down rabbit holes. You know, we're we're sincerely looking, but we're very limited as to what we can see. I think that eludes a lot of people. You know, they, they, they go out and the ones that, that want to pay attention. I mean, I'm, I'm confronted with a lot of people that don't like they, they just they more or less just kind of like given up. They just go through the motions of everyday life. And that's really about it. Mm-hmm. But the ones that want to pay attention, they really genuinely want to understand what's going on. But it's almost like they don't have time because they're too busy doing everything within their own lives. But yet they still have an interest. You know, they want to understand what's happening in the world around them. And I, I hate to I hate to do this. Uh, I hate to, to spoil this for everybody because we've got time 
to watch Netflix. We've got time to watch baseball or or whatever. Do you have time to do a little homework? I, I know that seems so outdated and, and old fashioned these days, homework. You know, who wants to go back and do homework, especially if you've been out of school for 20 years? Who wants to go back and do that? Well, there are places that are called public libraries. And in these public libraries, they have library cards that you can get. Hell, they give them away most of the time. And they have books in these libraries and they do explain what's going on. But you have to do a little bit of homework. And I think a lot of people, even the ones that want to understand, they still don't want to do that. No, you're you're right. They don't want to do that because to do that means that you're sacrificing something. And I think you have to get to the point where you look at what you're supposedly sacrificing and say, it's not much of a sacrifice. <laughs> not know? to us, no. I, <laughs> it's like, well, you're gonna watch a, you're gonna watch that movie, really? You're gonna watch? Which, I mean, I'm and, just nothing. I'm not not criticizing. There's nothing wrong with a good movie, but you're gonna watch the the Yankees and the Orioles for what? <laughs> you know, it's if you if you can just jump off the cliff and the cliff, you know, what was on the other side of the cliff is the piece of knowledge that. Everything in our reality has been laid on for us. Our hobbies, our entertainments, our dramas, our, you know, the, the things that we think we have to strive for, the house, as Alan would call it, the box with a lid. All of these things have been laid on for us or given to us to want, to desire, to crave, to think we have to have. Uh, to consider a necessity. And so, so jumping off the cliff is saying, okay, there's not actually that much of that that I need or want or that I'm interested in. In other words, those of us with limited time and resources, but a burning desire to understand, the only way to do that is to jump off the cliff into the unknown. The only thing that I would say is um, that doesn't come with a parachute, by the way. <laughs> when you, no, it doesn't. When you jump off the cliff, you hit that ground. You hit it hard, yes. I will say. And that ground, by the way, that's reality. When you hit that, there's no going back. It really is like the Matrix. It is the red pill. That's what it is. It you is. Know, it's, it's the two it choices. Is. And, you know, the thing that always, I don't remember the character's name in the Matrix, but I was very struck by the scene, the, the, the traitor. The traitor... When he meets and makes his deal to sell out his compatriots, he's eating the steak and he's drinking the wine. And he said, I know the steak and this wine, they're not real, but it just tastes so good. And this is somebody who's aware of what the Matrix is, but he's made his deal. He wants the comforts of unreality. And people like to vacillate. Like they like to think of it like a video game. I'll step out into reality and I'll think about these conspiracy theories, you know, or whatever people tell me is real. And then I'll step back in and I'll watch the Red Sox and I'll step out and I'll think about it and then I'll step back in and I'll watch Netflix and I'll and you gotta step all the way out and hang out there and just be there because there's no other way that you there's no way that we get through this. I mean, it's just no, people are going to have to understand what's going on. If we have any any chance of of wanting to establish something uh, on the other side, if we if we really want to fix this, then we need people with courage and independence, like we were talking about. We need people that can think 
outside of these institutions that are willing to mm -hmm. step up and be leaders because we don't have leaders. We have managers and idiots. That's what we have. We need people that can actually be ready to lead. And because people are going to be looking for leaders, they're looking for them now and they can't find them. And because so. they're looking for them in the matrix. That's so they're yeah, looking, they're, they're they, they are looking for them in the matrix and they're in the matrix. They're, they feel your pain. They're there to help. We're going to make America great again. You know, that's what the matrix gives you is nonstop. And it did it in my parents' life and in my grandparents' life, and it's never ending. People will say to me, but well, through all this chaos, then people say, yes, something has to change. But, but nobody has any idea of what it should look like. And that's true. That's a true enough criticism. But I think that the, the very, very first step is the willingness to hit the ground of cold, hard reality. And if you do that and you, you, you stand firm in this position, no, you know, it's kind of, it, it's, it's brutal, it's ugly, but I like it here and I'm staying here and I don't need to go back in there and I don't need to hear what you say. And I don't mind being a minority of one and I don't mind, you know, people thinking I'm crazy or hating me because I see the world differently than they do. And if there are enough of us, and we will be savages and barbarians on the fringes, it will look like that. If real humans come through, we will be barbarians. It will be from amongst the barbarians that some kind of new leadership is found. It will not be in the system. Yeah, you're you're right. And I think the sooner people take it upon themselves to step out of that system and jump off that cliff and, and hit the ground and see reality for what it is, then the sooner we're actually going to be able to affect change and change in the right direction. You know, it's mm -hmm. we can't continue to rely, as you say, on irrelevancy. We can't do it. We've done that to this point and this this has gotten us where we are. So if you and I, I hate to keep harking on it, but I'm very annoyed when I see all of these people, and I've, I've mentioned it to you before, and you've gotten emails from these people before, and so have I, and it annoys me to death. When I see all of this wasted energy and wasted time on these feel-good, ear-tickling events like Turning Point, it turns my stomach because yes. this is a complete waste of time. This does nothing. This helps no one. This helps nothing that needs to be fixed. This is more of the same. We're back in the matrix, if you yes. will, with that. Yes. That's not the solution to this. You know, something else in the Redux, the little, the Redux that I put up on Sunday, this was from a four-hour talk that Alan gave on the 16th of August, 2020. And he was basically talking along those lines of where the people will just continue to go back and look at what is given to them to argue about. Uh, they will they'll go back there, and the reason they'll go back there, he covered it in, in some depth, is because what we're given as the so-called alternate or the patriot movement was long ago set up by the CIA and other intelligence agencies. So whatever country you're living in, whoever is saying, oh no, it's not the mainstream, it's this, the chances that those people, those voices, those talking heads, those turning points are assets of an intelligence agency is really, really high because 
unauthorized voices. Well, you know what it's like to be an un- unauthorized I do, yes. voice. Yeah. I, I know what it's like to be thrown off of, of platform just because <laughs> yeah. you can you can actually point something out. But no, that's another podcast, I think, in and of itself. Maybe we can talk about mm-hmm. that the next time. Controlled right. movements, these controlled movements, because yes. you're absolutely right. When you go back through history, and I mean, you don't even have to go all the way back. I mean, just look, you just take the last hundred years and you can see the controlled movements from state intelligence agencies time and again throughout mm-hmm. countries around the world. And, and every you, all the big players have them. All the big countries yes, have them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. And and it will be it will it might initially start out as uh, you, you will see like a, a grassroots movement actually spring up. One will mm-hmm. actually come into fruition on its own. But very soon, that group will be infiltrated, it will be discredited, and then you will get a new group that will give you all the agenda that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And it's controlled, 100% control. It is 100. And I I know we'll cover this in, you know, a future talk, so I won't belabor the point. But a good example of what you just outlined there was We Are Change. We Are Change. Oh, my goodness. Yes, Mm -hmm. I remember that one. Yep. Yep. And, and before you knew it, they were, we are against climate change. <laughs> you know, yeah, they yeah, they just right, completely yeah. got taken over. Yeah. It's always a pleasure having you on. Are, uh, Thank you, Johnny. You're working on it. Oh, it's uh, no, pleasure's all mine. Are you working on a, uh, a new podcast? You have one up. Have you put one up in the last two weeks? Uh, what, what's the latest What's the latest podcast? Um, yes. The latest podcast that went up was my monthly talk with Neil Foster. The one that is going up tomorrow is a conversation with Brandon Turbeville. And Brandon is a writer. He's written for the Activist Post for a number of years. Prolific. He's written more than 1,500 articles. He's spoken with Alan before. He's very well-versed in Syria in particular and has written a couple of books about what's going on over there. But um, that that is what is going up tomorrow, so I'm really looking forward to that. And I also pre-recorded, um, just to fit schedule, I recorded a conversation with Dr. William Mackis from Canada, and that's going up on the 24th. And I've mentioned him before in other talks and redux, but Dr. Mackis has done a lot of work tracking injury and death from this so-called V. Mm-hmm. So that that was a yeah, it was a really good conversation. I was happy that he took the time because he's keeping awfully busy. And then because you requested it, Johnny, just yesterday the latest excerpt that went up was MK Ultra. I got to go watch it. <laughs> I got to go watch so, it. So, yep. All right, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be heading over there tomorrow afternoon to give that a watch. So Great. Well, we'll see you in two weeks, yes? Yes. Fantastic. That is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information that they maintain of the life collective works of the late, great Alan Watt and also her podcast, Real History with Melissa. That is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for being here today, Melissa. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening. 